Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. It's time for Stranger Things Part 2. In the first part, we talked about how there are three layers in Stranger Things. Kids, teenagers, and adults. We talked about how there's compassion within each layer for each other and how that compassion gives way to progress at the individual level and at the group level. Now, we're going to talk about compassion up and down, meaning how do the teenagers have compassion for the kids and for the adults? And how do the adults have compassion for the kids? That's, for most people, seems to be the harder challenge, especially within an organization. In business, to be an executive and to have compassion for the people at the bottom of the organization, I mean, it's almost impossible, it seems. And vice versa, we're all at the bottom of something in our lives, and when we're at the bottom, we're always questioning the decisions and the motives of the people at the top. So how can we work together to create a line that runs through these things? So put in Stranger Things terminology, how can we be the flea that is able to navigate both the right side up and the upside down and push forward to progress together? All right, we are back. Episode 59 of Wonder Tour. Today, we're going to be talking about, as Drew said, getting to be the flea. And today's episode is going to be more about the real world versus the upside down. We're going to be talking a lot about that today. And here is someone with us once again who has definitely been in the upside down and has lived to tell about it. His name is Brian. He's back. Hey guys, pleasure to be back with you as always. I'm very excited to continue our conversation about journeying between the alternate realities and layers of the world. He's always sending us postcards. They're always so slimy. What's up with that, Brian? <laughs> you like my you like my uh, falling ash and snow in the background here? 100%. I thought at first it was a video artifact, and then I realized that you have a really long webcam cable. I went through the portal with it. So <laughs> Now, for those of you who are audio listeners, like 100% of you, Brian's having some camera issues today, so we're just making light of the fact that he looks like he's in the upside down. Whatever's happening on his computer, it's automatically adjusting <laughs> his background to be black. I've got kind of a gothic vibe going on this week. It's great. So yeah, let's get this let's get this started. I wanted to call out right away when we start talking about the the concept of the upside down and the collaboration between the layers. Last time we centered the episode a little bit around the scene where the the kids or Elle and Lucas are having this dispute over whether or not she's leading them in the right direction. And the other key scene in this episode is when the three kids corner the physics teacher actually at the funeral wake and are badgering him about alternate realities and models of the universe and multiverse. And specifically, they're trying to figure out how to get to the upside down. And this is structurally very clever in the series because it's one of our first examples of effective collaboration between the kid layer of the storyline and sort of a, a character from the adult layer of the storyline. But it's effective despite the fact that they don't really understand each other at all. Like They think the physics teacher is going to have some insight. He completely misinterprets their questions. He is excited. You know, he's a, he's a physics nerd and knows all the Dungeons and Dragons references. And he's excited to talk about the fact that there might be alternate realities and multiverses and parallel worlds. But he quickly goes to, yeah, and so probably there's a parallel world where none of this happened and Will's still alive. Lucas is like, that's not what we're asking about here. That's not the goal. We want to know how do we actually get there? 
And so then we get the great scene where he's, you know, writing on a paper plate and explains this idea about the acrobat who can walk on a tightrope but can only stay on one side of it versus the flea that can go to both sides. Talk about alternate realities and ends up with the analogy of being able to fold the paper plate in half and punch through it and how that's going to require a tremendous amount of energy to get from one plane to the other which is a cool in-world setup of like, okay, we're going to have to use L's superpowers to figure this out. We can use the energy to track things around. But it's also a good, useful analogy for us about when you're trying to communicate and move information and certainly move yourself between these layers, it does require a tremendous amount of energy, especially if you're coming from outside a work group, outside an organization, outside the current flow of things. As Derek said in the last episode, I think all three of us have been felt like we're visiting from the upside down into different parts of the world. And we're trying to propel change or introduce them to the joys of transformation through data science or any number of other things that you could potentially improve an organization with. And so I want to kind of hear your guys' experiences of deploying that energy or the, the challenge of breaking through the layers. Oh, man, you touched on a funny one that's a little more specific of an example is data science. That's a great example, right? We're recording this in the year 2022. <laughs> Data science has not yet become, it doesn't yet mean the same thing to different people. On one side, you got the users of whatever the solution is going to be, and they know what they want, and they know where they want to go, blah, blah, blah. And on the other side, you got the management, and the management wants the metrics to improve, and they have a strategy that they need to achieve. And then you got the technical team, right? So the technical team actually understands how to build this stuff. And so to try to talk between those three different groups, it, it, it truly feels like a lot of times that the technical team might be the upside down. And you're like, we got to go into the upside down now. <laughs> and then we got to, I got to come back from the upside down and we got to talk to the other parties and try to convey what we've seen in the upside down. <laughs> and I, in the middle of explaining, that's perfect, Drew. And in the middle of explaining it, you just start to hear the music. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> And it becomes deafening and you're just like, you're like, oh, and you know, it's coming on, right? Because you can feel the room as someone the who's- The lights are flickering. Yes. The lights start flickering. You start reading the room and you're just like, oh my gosh, do I need to build some Christmas lights up on the wall so that we can communicate? Because it just starts to devolve very quickly because it's just too different. The, the two worlds are too different. And the energy, very many times, right? You just don't have the energy to- breakthrough and it really takes multiple tries i think is probably probably some of the perspective there isn't it where you just got to keep keep at it now i don't want to get too far off the rails as far as this episode but i do think that's really good where very much a magnanimous leader is trying to surf both worlds at the same time the magnanimous leader is aware that there is an upside down and dare i say a right side up <laughs> right and that there is an acrobat and that there is a flea. And I, I would say that the magnanimous leader can kind of flip back and forth. Maybe they've got to be flexible. Is that, isn't that what we're saying, guys? Yeah, absolutely. And that goes to what we talked about in the last episode, where the first step in that is you have to be open to the idea that there's a version of reality or a set of things happening that you aren't aware of. And then if somebody comes and tells you about them, that you need to be open to it, right? That there is something that I might have to digest that might change my thinking about how I have to act or what's available or what people need in order to be successful. We joked, I think we joked earlier off uh, offline just about that, oh, having that experience of feeling like we're coming from the other world and just like, you know, you don't understand. This is what's really happening at the grassroots level. Like this is, 
you know, what what you think is happening in the in our big strategy meetings, you know, the thing that's on the pretty PowerPoint documents about how things are going and what the future looks like, that's not necessarily the full picture of reality. And it's hard to make an effective plan for collaboration when we don't have the full picture. That's a perfect example there, though. So I think in this picture, we want to paint, and again, all metaphors break down, but we want to paint the magnanimous leader as the flea, right? We want to be the ones who are able to punch through the dimensions and understand what's happening at a in reality at a more, you know, again, we're not going to reach 100% accuracy, but at a higher percent accuracy on what's going on in reality. As a result of that, we then want to help to convey to the acrobat, the acrobats, because to be honest, in this situation, I think we're, we're dealing with a slightly different analogy of the acrobat and the flea. We kind of have like acrobats on both sides of the tightrope, right? Let's just use a business example and you can replace, you know, your life with this. The upside right acrobat maybe is the executives, right? So they're walking this tightrope and on the upside down acrobat on the other side of the tightrope, who again, their gravitational pulls are opposite. They can't, it's hard to understand each other is the grassroots. And then so we're the flea in this situation as the magnanimous leader, the only organism who is able to easily traverse from one side to the other. Minimizing energy, right? I think that's the key is that the magnanimous leader keeps in perspective that the minimization of energy is the key to going back and forth. And what is it? What is it that you're minimizing? I want to really touch on this for a second. It is expectations, my friends. <laughs> it is expectations. Expectations are everything when you are going between the worlds. If you are in one side of it, whether it's the upside down or the right side up, no matter what dimension you're operating in or right on the edge, expectation really is the thing that will sink you and pull you back either side. You're just going to run out of energy because you think, oh, I can, for example, right, I can bring them together. Can you? You better lower your expectations, right? You're going to bring leaders in the room with individuals. Think about it. The individuals think certain things about the leaders. The leaders think certain things about the individuals. They both have their expectations. They have expectations on them. That's another thing that we haven't talked about here. You have to lower all of it. If you want to create a gate, right? If you want to have a gate, you've got to have those expectations lowered. And that is a compassionate move. To lower your expectations means to honestly sacrifice some of the things that you want. And that is compassion when you're sacrificing yourself for somebody else's betterment. What do you think, guys? No, that's really good. And it, what, what it made me think of, I want to, if it's okay, I want to bring in a, a hard business example, not from my personal experience, but one that was very well documented in public. One of the dangers of punching that hole, one of the dangers of bringing the news from the other side, right, is that it's not welcome, that you're violating expectations in a way that might be very threatening to leaderships in their story or to the organization or to the being able to continue smoothly along the path. Readers at all cognizant of the auto industry might be aware of the Volkswagen's Dieselgate drama about 10 years ago, where we had the organization had made a very public commitment that their diesel-powered cars were their their successful ecological plan for the future, and they were marketing them as super high fuel efficiency and super green. And they could not figure out, secretly inside the labs, they could not figure out how to get them to pass global emission standards. The engineers that brought that forward knew perfectly well that they couldn't pass global emission standards. And because that didn't conform with the corporate plan, they ended up engineering a workaround so that the cars would magically pass emissions only when they detected they were being tested on a dyno. But when you drove them on the road, they behaved the way that they had to behave for longevity, which was actually not terribly good for particulate emissions. It turned out to be the problem. 
But what we saw was this huge corporation that had a very big public set of goals and a very autocratic top-down style leadership. They became aware of a thing that was disruptive to their plans and responded to that by squashing it and forcing a workaround, like installing a reality distortion field around their products so that they could continue. And they ended up with tens of billions of dollars worth of fines and having to recall nearly a million cars over like 10 model years in this incredible fiasco from which their reputation and global sales still haven't completely recovered. But in that situation, whoever the engineer in the lab that was L that like found this information and tried to bring it up to the top layer, it didn't go well, right? That we did not have magnanimous leaders supporting that alternate view of reality. We had punitive action followed by the Hawkins power and light vans rolled out and just erased the entire thing from existence. Oh, man, that's a good example right there. Of what happens when the right side up and the upside down aren't aligned? Because there, there is... You know, we're not here to, to espouse science fiction on reality, but there is an upside down, right? There's an upside down in life. There's the weird inverse of what people might think is happening. It's actually happening. And there's people that know about it. Again, I have to I can't be clear enough. If you're only catching certain words, you're listening on your way to work or whatever. I'm not saying there's a real upside down here necessarily. I'm saying <laughs> there is such a thing as a theoretical upside down in any situation. If you look at it from a different way, somebody else has a different perspective on it. And so as a result of that, we have to be careful that we're matching up perspectives instead of taking one perspective and saying, well, this is the right perspective. <laughs> because nobody could get that one right perspective themselves. And I know that this comes up all the time on Wonder Tour. So this is no nothing new here. I just think that we have to have empathy for the acrobats in this situation, right, to understand that they have a hard task of staying on the line. But at the same time, we need to have empathy for the flea because the flea is the only one who could see both sides and live to tell about it. So the flea is oftentimes getting pulled left and right. People don't want to believe you. No, no, that I, I'm telling you, this is how the culture is. You know, the rule says it's this. So this must be how they run it down there, right? like, well, I, I'm telling you, I've been down there and <laughs> that process is not being followed the way that you think it is. Well, so much of that is this relationship between curiosity and expectation. And I think what's so cool about curiosity is that you can have exciting expectations with curiosity, but you can also kind of have this fleeting disbelief about what you might find. So there's not a whole lot of weight in your expectations and very much about going into and having, I love what your guys are saying as far as being able to disrupt these two different worlds. The only way you get there in the first place is to go in and just be curious. The only way that you can learn anything about what's going on and look at in Stranger Things, right, we have very much of, oh, well, we just crawled underneath this tree. We have no idea what's going on here. And we just kind of go in and we're just kind of feeling our way around. And that literally is the spirit of curiosity kind of making its way into it. And and that is so many times, and it happens more now with technology, I think, than it ever has. Oh, I wonder what, what what's this person do? What's this person? Oh, that's interesting. When we have, though, the large disparities in like what you've talked about, Drew, from time to time on Wonder Tour, right? We have these large disparities in normal everyday life. Oh, well, I have a car. You, oh, you don't have a car. Oh, OK. So I've got to lower my expectation about having a car, talking to you about cars, getting places that you want to go. I have to start to stretch myself because I'm going to have compassion on you. These are the layers. I hate to say there's layers, but there are, right? And the same thing happens in the business world. So we're, what we're trying to do, obviously, here on this Wonder Tour is to show that there's parallels between these personal differences, these business differences, and they're really all the same. One is scarier than the other, though, right? 
in the business context, we're not scared at all. We're like, our company has certain things that we believe about doing business. And when it gets out into the personal world, you're like, ooh, I'm kind of on my own here. Anything can happen to me right now. What do you guys think about that? How it kind of falls apart personally, right? And then we're just like, eh, somebody else should do this. I want to make this somebody else's problem, right? Isn't that interesting? How it, when you leave your comfort area that you spend 40, 50 hours a week in, and then you go out into this other place where anything can happen. Let's talk about that for a second. Well, I think that with respect, what I've observed of you guys as sort of curious explorers in your own careers is that you don't spend a lot of time fearful at work. And that may not be a universal experience. I've definitely seen people that have a lot of fear and anxiety around their work products and their boss and their job security and their any number of other things. And that some of that's very well earned. And some of that is maybe putting too much weight on what are often sort of trivial concerns. But there's there's real fear out there in the world. Right. That's definitely true. But at the same time, at least there's clear rules and there's clear structure and there's always somebody up. You know, you can pass the buck further up the food chain most of the time. Whereas in your personal life, a lot of those structures and a lot of those rules are not there. And so it's easier to feel that sense of discomfort. It's easier to feel that sense of not having a backup plan. So I think you're absolutely right that many of us tend to be less adventurous, less outside the box, less trying out new things or experimenting new worldviews in our personal lives for a variety of reasons. But that's that's definitely a thing. But that whole sense of needing to stay curious to be able to grow. We see a lot of that in this episode, right? We see we're not getting yet in the season to really good collaboration between the layers, but they're starting to at least listen to each other a little bit. But what we do see is all of the characters in their own way taking the things that they see that are not right, that don't make sense, that kind of stick out. You know, Jonathan takes a weird picture and the kids have this weird compass behavior and Hopper sees things not lining up as investigation and they're all running their experiments. They're like, I've identified a problem. I don't know what the solution is, but something's not right. And I'm going to go dive into it. And that's what's really powerful about it. They start to learn. They start to get a better understanding of the world because they're running the experiments, because they're opening up to the fact that they might not get the whole picture yet. And that's probably universally applicable. But like you said, maybe less likely to be done or more daunting outside of the structure of a work environment. Well, I think when you look at the top, so the parents are the top in this situation, right? The adult layer, you get an interesting takeaway from them, right? Because they actually have to come meet the other layers where they're at. If the adults continue to operate in their layer exclusively, then they're going to struggle to actually understand what's really going on. I don't really see the kids engaging at the others at the other layers very well to some extent, but they don't really have empathy or compassion for the adults because they just can't even freaking imagine what it would be like to be an adult in this world, right? They're still playing Dungeons and Dragons throughout the entire thing. So it's really on Hopper and Joyce in this situation to be able to go and meet Jonathan and Nancy where they're at. And they do, right? They meet them in jail. And Hopper takes Jonathan out of, you know, goes and meets with them in the room and everything he's hearing, he's kind of composing it into a narrative and he's not discounting any of it. You know, he goes and he meets with the kids in the junkyard at the bus. Number one, he meets with them on their terms using the walkie-talkie. And number two, when he meets with them, he lets them talk about it in their language. And he kind of converts their language into adult language, into police language, into teenager language for everybody else so that he can get the team together going on a mission. And I think that's really the role of the flea. When you can see the different angles, the flea is not to be the expert of land and sea and air, right? <laughs> the expert of the right side up and the upside down. It's just to understand people, to be to be where meet people where they're at. Absolutely. That's really well observed. 
it's kind of cool that what does Hopper then do with that information? He goes and breaks the rules at his own layer in order to learn more. He is explicitly like out of bounds. This is not what I'm supposed I'm going to go break into this lab. I'm going to punch a guy in the face and steal a gun and a badge card and go see for myself. He goes rogue a little bit because he recognizes that the structure is maybe not explaining the world very well or isn't, you know, giving him a path forward. And I think that's where compassion is a mechanism for change. We've talked a lot about that. What do you guys think about how Hopper is starting to now help people understand by mapping things out a little more, right? Getting some more information. And is it moving away from compassion a little bit now into something different that we can see here? Yep. I think you guessed it, Derek. We're nearing the end of our 10-part series on compassion. And so we're moving into a new series next week. So let's go ahead and bridge that connection here. So our next series is going to be about map making. That might sound a little bit narrow or weird at first, but just hold with us. We wanted to make it something tangible. So let's talk about how Hopper is making a map here. This is perfect because he is a he comes from that police background, detective work, that sort of stuff. So what he's doing is he's gathering evidence. At first, personally, he's going and gathering all the evidence, but then he's gathering it from talking to different people. He talks to Terry. He talks to right. So he's going and seeing all of this evidence, and then he's composing it in his head into a map of what needs to happen next and how things work. He's taking and connecting all the models together. The map making to me is really about all this models that we've been talking about. It's about making the models and connecting the models together not just for ourselves, but for other people as well, which means we have to compose the models in a certain way so that others can be involved in them. It can't be this solo act where I've created all the models and now I just own the universe. We need to make models that work together. So Brian, how do you see Hopper kind of crafting his models here? That's awesome. I love this transition here. We've been so focusing so much on compassion and one of the elements of compassion is the listening part, is the updating your worldview to align with other people better, to understand where they're coming from so you can have a sense of shared goals and you can have a sense of shared reality. And that's one of the essential pieces in the, you know, in making and using a map, you have to know where you are first, right? You have to know where you're starting from or the map's not very helpful for you. So we've kind of done that. We've got everybody centered. We're using our compassion. We've got a sense of what the shared reality is and maybe a directional sense of goals, like we want to go that way. But now we need to know the terrain around us. We need to know what the rules are of the environment that we're operating in. We need to know where the potential paths are that are available to us so that we could go pursue our shared goals. And I think what we're seeing exactly as you suggested is Hopper is literally filling in the unknowns you know, himself by going and exploring and sort of trying to connect the dots of these are how these things relate to each other and this is the terrain. And here's maybe the most likely path to go after that will fit both our goals and what we know about what our situation is. That skill set of with an intention, with a shared goal, with a with a group that is aligned with each other, then how do you take that group and set out across the terrain and try to get where you're going? A lot of that's what we'll, I think, need to talk about in the map making. What are the examples of doing that skillfully? And Hopper's kind of showing us the first step of it. I'm personally going to do some exploring, but then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to everybody and we're going to converge our knowledge into a bigger map. And the key is, I think, using everything. Wonder Tour is a map making experience in itself, and there are many landmarks along the way. We have gone through a number of series before this point, and I think one of the things that we have been adamant, humbly, I think, very humble about it. I, I'm not trying to 
make fake humility here. I'm literally saying that we don't know, right? But we are willing to reshape, go back and reshape a little bit or tweak as we go. But we're trying to make it all make sense. So everything up to this point, we're bringing into alignment under the magnanimous leader. And this magnanimous leader is going to use integrity to make the map. He or she is going to use compassion to make the map, right? Because you got to get your information from a lot of different places. You have to make a comprehensive, right? And you also need to know the dangers along the way, et cetera. That's where the game theory comes in. There's different things that all factor into this. It's a good midpoint. We kind of did that at episode 50. But now that we're getting into the mechanics of Wonder Tour, really here, because that's what map making these models, this is the mechanics. These are the mechanics, the inner workings of the Wonder Tour. And why I've, I'm so fascinated about what's going to happen out of this this next series is for that reason, that it, it is getting into how Wonder Tour actually works. What do you guys think about that as we head out? Yeah, just one of the things that I've observed in the chances we've had to work together that both of you, Derek and Drew, are clearly excited to learn new things. You're clearly excited to expand your personal, you know, the frontiers of your knowledge and what you know how to do. And Wonder Tour is a great example of that, like is an explicit exploration of what lessons can we draw and how can we apply them in the domain of leadership. And that that is not just because it's fun to know and do new things, but because then we can take and apply that to let's use our new insights and our new skills so that in our organizations, in our daily lives, in our goals, we can expand the frontiers of what is possible in our organization. We can expand the frontiers of what we know how to do collectively. I think this is a really nice analogy about sort of expanding that wavefront with all of the energy and skills and map making tools that we've got. We know how to survey now. <laughs> we know we know how to we know how to build a party. We know how to collect up all the resources. Now we're starting to talk a little bit like, okay, what do we like say mechanically? What do we do so that we can build our worldviews together and really lay that lay that path out ahead of us? I like that term you use, mechanically. I think that's going to be the shift because we're still going to be heavily focused on people because there's really no way not to be if you want to be a magnanimous leader. But we're shifting from this fuzzy area of compassion into a more mechanical area of map making. So if you're more the type that likes things to be tangible, we're hoping that while map making in this aspect is conceptual, we'll, we'll make it pretty tangible. We'll be able to talk to the, the mechanics that we use to build maps and hopefully some, develop some new mechanics by learning from some of our favorite stories. It, it's a bit of a transition here for the next 10 episodes going into map making, but I think it's a perfect flip from compassion where we went heavy into the unknown here. Now we're going to kind of go back over some of the traits that we've talked about, back over some of the models that we've made. We'll probably retread a bit. And we're going to start to piece apart, okay, now how do we construct these models? And is there a better way and a worse way to do so? I love it. We're going to leave it right there. Hope you enjoyed this deep dive into Stranger Things and the Upside Down. Who knows? We may come back to the Upside Down someday and talk a little bit more about the grittiness of that and all that stuff. We're going to move on. The next series, as we've talked about, is going to be the map making. And the next kind of media engagement here is going to be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That is really cool uh, property there to jump into. And I always wanted to be Indiana Jones when I was a kid. So, <laughs> But also, maybe it's just a Harrison Ford thing because I really like Tan Solo too. So <laughs> he's kind of the same guy in both. But anyway, we're going to leave it right there. Remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.